Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, and we take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. You can always join us live each Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m. at our Rock Spring, Georgia campus, or at 11 a.m. at our Rossville, Georgia campus, which is just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. We shake your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 2. Now you'll have a little bit of a hard time finding 1 John. The first book in your Bible called John is the Gospel of John. 1 John is at the very end. If you, the last book in your Bible is Revelation. If you find it and turn left, you'll find it in a couple of pages. And don't be fooled, there's a 2 John, a 3 John, but you're looking for 1 John. Or I'm going to have it up on the screen for you uh, today as well. Uh, 1 John chapter 2. I started a sermon series a few weeks ago entitled One Matters. And we looked at uh, one soul matters, one prayer matters, one decision matters, one person matters, one word matters. And today I want to preach this subject, one love matters, out of 1 John chapter chapter 2, and we'll look there. We'll stand in a moment and read. One love matters. Let me me kind of work my way into the sermon to do that. If I were to ask you, how many pounds of cheese and sugar do you eat a year? Yeah. (laughs) Before I have you guess, I'm not going to have you guess because it'd be hard to know unless you're keeping up with it, which is weird if you do that. Um, The average American every year eats 33 pounds of cheese and 70 pounds of sugar. So for cheese, that's a little over half a pound a week, um, which I'm going to be honest. Well, let's just ask. How many of you say 33 pounds sounds about right? Let me see your hand. About about right? A few of you. How many of you say that's probably low for you? Let me see your hand. All right. How many of you call that Tuesday? Let me see see your, your hand. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah, uh, 33 pounds seems a little low. My wife has to buy extra cheese because when I grate it while she's cooking, it's grate a block, eat a block, grate a block, eat a block is kind of how I do it. And so uh, 70 pounds of sugar, I mean, you think I don't eat that much, but if you figure colas and sweet tea and, and moon pies and all that, it all adds up to about 70 pounds of sugar. Well, Michael Moss, who wrote the book titled Salt, Sugar, and Fat, And by the way, I would never buy the book if he's against salt, sugar, and fat. I don't want to support him in any way whatsoever. But he wrote a book called Salt, Sugar, and Fat. And he looked at two decades of America's largest food producers. And he studied how they help us crave certain foods. As a matter of fact, the big food industries, like names like Campbell Soup, General Foods, Kraft, Pepsi-Cola, Cadbury, they hire crave consultants and scientists to determine what they call bliss points. That is where the company can optimize your craving for a certain food. And so they got all the scientists together and they asked them, what is the perfect food? Does anybody wanna guess what it is? If you've already heard me say it, don't say it. Anybody else wanna guess what the perfect food is with the right amount of craving, taste, and bliss? Anybody wanna guess? And I heard 40 different things. Here we go. Cheetos. Literally Cheetos. And uh, this is the third bag of Cheetos I've had to eat today for the Lord. <laughs> if it wasn't for preaching, I'd be skinny, right? Like, what the guy's got to do? Here, here's what they did before I, I started eating too fast. But 
Frito-Lay, I guess, makes Cheetos, potato chips, and they make 21 different flavors of Cheetos. And they hire, they have a research complex near Dallas, Texas, get this, that has 500 chemists, psychologists, and technicians. 500. Chemists, chemists, and those other people, the, the 500 of them. I'm not, I'm not kidding about this. They spend $30 million a year to determine the bliss point of food. And they have, scientists have mostly agree that the perfect food is a bag of Cheetos. Why? It has something called vanishing caloric density. In other words, it melts in your mouth before your brain recognizes you have ate a calorie. You've eaten a calorie. Whatever. <coughs> I said, Paul face lines, I'm eating Cheetos. Same, same thing. Awful the Lord. So here's what they determined that it melts before your brain says calories. And so it melts. It, it does. It's gone. And uh, so your brain doesn't think you've ate anything. And it's called a bliss point. And they, they, they pay close attention to something called sensory-specific satiety. And what that means is if a food has a strong flavor, a strong taste of one flavor, your brain will shut down your craving of that food. So you, you, you taste something, it's got a strong flavor to it. You may like the flavor, but your brain will say, ooh, that's enough of that. And you'll set it down. However, junk food companies like Coca-Cola, Doritos, and yes, Frito-Lay have a complex formula that peaks the taste buds just enough to be alluring, but doesn't have a strong flavor. And I'm just doing market testing now. Doesn't have a strong flavor to tell your brain to stop it. So you eat Cheetos, empty calories. By the way, I'm very pro-empty calorie. Amen? Like Doritos, Fritos. Are. Interestingly, Michael Moss found out that the presidents of these companies don't consume their own products. For example, the president of Pepsi doesn't drink Pepsi because he says it's bad for your teeth. And the president of Frito-Lay doesn't eat Cheetos. He came off all process, excuse me, there's going to be a little general Cheeto spray going on here in the front row. <laughs> During the sermon, he doesn't eat Cheetos because he doesn't eat processed foods, or he has seen what goes into Cheetos. And I'd rather not know. Like, don't tell me what a hot dog looks like. I like hot dogs. I don't want to know what's in a hot dog, right? Don't tell me how the sausage is made. Anyway, I'm, I'm off track. Here, here, here's the point I'm trying to make that these food manufacturers go through extreme measures and millions of dollars in research and development and marketing for one thing to get you to fall in love with their product. Millions of dollars in extreme measures, because here's what they know. Once they get you hooked on a bag of Cheetos, chances are you are hooked for life. And so we have research facilities with, with 500 scientists and $30 million a year being poured into it for one reason, to get you to crave and get hooked on something that they manufacture. I tell you all that to tell you this. If you think Frito-Lay's good at it, 
our enemy is so much better at it. Our real enemy in this world, Satan and the world in which he operates from, is such a better, cleverer manufacturer of products and lusts and addictions that, that reel us in and get us to leave our first love and fall in love with the enemy and the world and its culture and its values. John came along in 1 John and he tried to tell us that there's, this enemy is always going to be trying to lure you away. And here's what John is trying to tell us in, in 1 John. Listen, your enemy, the devil and his horde and his world and his kingdom and all the minions that the enemy has, they are constructing cravings for you just to get you to walk away from your one true love God. And I want to tell you this this morning, it's the point John was trying to make. You only have room in your life for one love, and you have to choose. And it's what John told us in 1 John chapter 2. So would you stand with me as we honor God's word just by reading these few verses, 1 John chapter 2, and it's on the screen if you don't have a Bible this morning. 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. Thank you. you may be seated. John was the apostle that Jesus loved, and he takes his book of 1 John, he's, he's talking about fellowship with God, he's telling us how to love God, he's telling us how to love the brethren, he, he, he's talking to us about even prayer sometimes, and how to know you're saved, all that's wrapped up in the book of the 1 John, and right in the middle of that, John kind of drops this word from God about how we as Christians only have room in our hearts for one all-consuming love, one all-passionate love, and he described for you what I just said about the cravings of the world, and how the enemy will, will do that to get us in our lives. So here's what I want you to know today. I'm preaching this whole sermon because of this. There are people in the room today and your cravings lie, your passions lie, your love lies outside of God. And the Lord's trying to reel you back in today and remind you that in your heart and life, you only have room for one all-consuming love. Here's three things he said. Number one, here's what John said. You, you can't have it both ways. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in, in the world. Get this, if the, anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, you have to know the context of the word world. In the Greek language, the word world there is cosmos, the way we would transliterate it, K-O-S-M-O-S. -S. It's not how we spell it in English, but it's in Greek transliterated. But it's where we get our word, English word, cosmos. So when you see the world, you get a little confused because we're told not to love the world, but we're told God loved the world. We're told it here in the most famous Bible verse in the New Testament, John three sixteen: For God so loved the world, cosmos, in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Well, wait a minute. God loves the world. We're not supposed to love the world. But the word cosmos is always translated and the context dictates the meaning. It has three meanings in your Bible. Number one, it has the created universe. And so sometimes this is how we use it in English. The cosmos 
refers to all of the universe. And sometimes in the Bible, you'll see the word cosmos used in that context, especially around creation. The second meaning of the word cosmos is the people in the world. And so when you look at John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he's talking about the people who are inhabiting the cosmos. He could literally say the, the, the world in the world. God so loved the people in the world, in the cosmos. But there's a third meaning. And determined by context, and the third meaning is an organized evil earthly system controlled by the power of the enemy that has aligned itself against God and the kingdom. Bingo, that's the one we're talking about. The organized activity of the enemy, of the evil one that has aligned itself against God and his kingdom, that is the world and you uh, don't love the world. It's not saying don't love the people. It's not saying don't love the universe. It's saying do not love the culture of the enemy that permeates the world. So Christian, here's the deal. We cannot love the world and the things that are in the world, the pleasures of the world, the systems of the world, the values of the world, the desires of the world. If we do, here's what John was saying, you cannot love God. A very, very, very strong It's literally God drawing a line in the sand. And he's saying, you can only have room in your life for one all-consuming passion, one all-consuming love, the world or God, the enemy or God. So you have to choose. Those two things cannot be front and center in the same heart, in the same life at the same time. That if you are passionately in love with one, you will not love the other. If you're filled up with one, you can be full of the other. If your attention is captured by one, your attention cannot be captured by the other. I was, uh, listen, I'm going to get some 15-year-old kids in trouble here this morning uh, because I know your mamas have outlawed you from doing what I'm about to say. And your mama's always right. Your mama's always right. And so pay attention to her, not, not your preacher. Don't go home. Some of you did this last time I did this. Some of you at home and said, but the preacher. Hey, but the preacher's 51 years old, all right? I, I can do what I want. You're 14. Don't, don't, don't get me in trouble, all right? But this past week, I won it Fortnite again. <laughs> Anybody play Fortnite? Let me see your hand. Anybody play Fortnite? Two six-year-olds at 945 said they play Fortnite. Fort, Fortnite. How many know what Fortnite is? Oh, wow. That's awesome. How many of you have banned your children from playing Fortnite? Let me see your hand. See, that's what I'm going to be in trouble with. But... Um, um, uh, here's what it did. Uh, Fortnite is a video game. It's a battle royale and a hundred people jump off a bus and you get down, and you fight it out till you're the last one standing. It is hard to win a game. I mean, there's people like Ninja who make a million dollars a month playing Fortnite and others, uh, same line. Uh, it's a free game, but it, it, anyway, it's a long story, but it's a difficult game. And, um, I, want, I have about 15 solo wins. I'm just trying to get some street cred for that. I got about 15 solo wins for that. But what I did do is I laid it down for about three months. For about three months, I just put it down, didn't update it, didn't care, didn't turn it on, just kind of got away from it. My travel schedule was really, really busy. And so I just, I laid it down. I just picked it back up in the last few days, had a little time to kill at night. And last week or so, I, I've picked it up. And, 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 and Thursday night, and I always take a photo when I win, I keep my phone right next to my uh, 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 thing. And I, I take a photo when I win for proof. I 
sent it to my whole family. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm going to brag, but I, I won twice this week. As a matter of fact, one yesterday after I'd already turned the sermon illustration in, or I'd have two photos up here. But uh, um, let, me, let me tell you about my bedroom. Our bedroom is where, where my PlayStation is, and I've got a recliner on the left, and my wife has a recliner on the right, and I've got a big television that's mounted on the wall. It's like 55 inch, and, and then I can, it's on a mount, and I can pull it out and twist it toward me. You know what I'm saying? And so I got a 50, I, I am literally three feet away from a 55 inch high definition television playing Fortnite. It is so close, so clear to make you motion sick while you're looking at it if you're not careful. It is right there. Then when you play Fortnite, for those of you who don't know, you have to have a, like a gaming headpiece, you know, so you're, it's over your head and you got a microphone. I don't do the microphone much, but I got the, because people can walk on your left and you only hear them on the left or they can walk on the right. You can only hear them on the right or you can hear, you can hear gunfire way. I mean, it's just pretty neat. You got to have those on. You got to have quiet in the room. And since I laid it down for three months, my wife forgot the rules of me playing Fortnite, <laughs> which are, please do not talk to me while I'm playing Fortnite. And for the love of all that is holy, there is not a pause button on Fortnite. <laughs> I had some kids, mamas come to me after 8.30 and they're like, yeah, my kid has always told me there's not a pause, there's not a pause button. I can pause baseball, I can pause football, Madden, I'm pause, I cannot pause Fortnite. I can't call a timeout because mommy wants me to on Fortnite. It's just going on. I forgot all those rules. So I'll be in my recliner, I'll get down to top 25, top 15, top 10, top five, top three. And it's, it's intense. If you play Fortnite, give me a witness, say amen. It's intense when you get down to that. And Sherry Booth here beside me. What do you want for supper tomorrow night? <laughs> She's like, China, China is what are you saying? I'm saying, I'll take it off. My little character will pass away. <laughs> this week she was like, oh, did I cause that? <laughs> I messed up and said yes. So now I'm banned for Fortnite too. No, no, I'm not, I'm not, but almost, but, um, Here's the deal when you're playing Fortnite. Here's the deal. My wife's beside me and she's, she just starts talking. I'll be like, I'll be in the middle of the game. She just starts talking like about stuff. And I don't know if she's talking to me. This week she started talking and uh, I died and I looked at her and she was singing an Andy Griffith song. I thought she was talking to me on thing, but she wasn't. And so he, here's what I know about Fortnite, any video game, but let me use Fortnite is that my attention can be on one thing. It can be on Fortnite or it can be on her. If my attention is on half of both those things, if I have half my attention on Fortnite and half my attention on my wife, I'm going to die in the game and I'm going to die in real life as well. <laughs> she don't like that so much. And so it requires my total undivided attention. In the same way with God and the world, you cannot be good at both. 
You cannot love God on one hand and love the world on the other. One will demand your all. One will demand your attention. One will demand your loyalty. One will demand your passion. One will demand your allegiance. One will demand your love. And when you try to do half my attention on the world, half my attention on God, you'll be bad at both. We learned it from Hollywood stars, right? Hollywood stars live far from God lifestyles, just to put it mildly, far, 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 far from God lifestyles until they win an award and then they go on stage and they want to thank God. That's holding on to the world in one hand and trying to hold on to God in the other. And before we're mad at those guys, we, we do the same thing because we post on our social media profiles on our bios, we post Bible verses and how much we love God. But yet our Facebook and our Snapchat and our Instagram and our TikTok feeds are full of things that cry far, far from God. And you can't have it both ways. If you're going to love God, you're going to lay the world down. If your attention is going to be on the world, then your attention cannot be on God at the same time. But here's the deal. Some of you are here today and you'd love to break an addiction in your life. You'd love to break a habit in your life. Can I just tell you, I'm no psychologist. Just let me tell you what the Bible is going to tell you. You don't break an addiction by trying to break an addiction. You break an addiction by falling more in love with God. And the, the lure of the world starts to fall away. I get closer to God. The world's shine wears off. The world's luster wears off. The world's sparkle wears off. But can I tell you, if I get more and more in love with the world and it gets more and more of my time and attention, then my love for God starts to fade. James, when he wrote his book, said it even stronger than that. He said, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So everyone wants to be the friend of God becomes the enemy of the world, the enemy of the world. James said even stronger, if you're friends with the world, you'll be hostile toward God. But if you're, uh, if you're friends with God, the world will lose its luster. You choose because you can't have it both ways. And there's some of you here today in the building and you've kind of wanted to play at being a Christian and, and keep, keep another foot in the world and in the past lifestyle you used to live and the culture used to be around and the things you used to love, but yet you, in your heart, you know something's not right with God. It's because you can't have it both ways. One has to be the all-consuming passion of your life. One love matters. It matters who your heart, who your time, who your allegiance, who your loyalty, who your love is to. You can't have it both ways. Second thing John told us was this. It's not love, it's lust. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions or the pride of life is not a father but of the world. Remember those Cheetos and I, I talked about how they carefully designed food to make you crave it? Listen, so does our enemy. Hear me this morning. The temptations around you are not haphazard. Hear me, everybody look this way. I need you to hear this. The temptations around you are not haphazard. They are a specific construct of the enemy to get you to fall into sin and to love the world more than you love God. 
You don't stumble into temptation. You don't stumble into sin. Those temptations around you are a specific construct of the enemy built around your life to get you to fall into that sin. There's three methods he uses. Number one is the lust of the flesh. That is a physical craving that wants to be satisfied apart from God's will or way. A physical craving that wants to be satisfied apart from God's will or God's way. When you want to satisfy a natural, normal, physical desire, but do it apart from God's way, that's the lust of the flesh. Number two, there's the lust of the eyes. That's when our eyes wander on things they should not wander on and, and uh, they call us, cause us to lust after them. It, it happened when Eve saw the fruit. It happened when David saw Bathsheba. It happened when Achan saw royal clothing that he wanted to steal. And then there is the pride of life. And that is an obsession with your status or possessions. An obsession with your status or possessions. The pride of life. These were the same ways that Satan tempted Eve and tempted Jesus. Let let me show you this in Genesis chapter 3 when he tempted Eve. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delighted to look at it and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Notice this. The woman saw the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh. Delightful to look at, lust of the eyes. Desirable for obtaining wisdom, the pride of life or possession. Same thing happened with Jesus. When Jesus had been fasting 40 days in Matthew chapter 4, the enemy came to him and tempted him and asked him to command stones be made bread. He had not ate in 40 days, lust of the flesh. He, asked him, he tempted him to jump off the temple top and have angels saving the pride of life. And then he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, I'll give all these to you, the lust of the eyes. Exactly the way uh, Eve's temptation was created exactly the way uh, Jesus's temptation was created, can I tell you this, is exactly the way the enemy will craft and construct a temptation for you, but hear me well. What the enemy's offering you is not love, it's lust. What, uh, John is trying to make the point here that, that what the enemy offers you is, is a bait and switch tactic. He's saying that all these things that I'm offering you will satisfy your life. But Eve wound up in misery and put the whole world in misery. David wound up in misery when he committed adultery and put his whole family in misery. Achan wound up in misery and his whole family paid for it. See, he says this is love, this is satisfaction, this is pleasure. But what he delivers is lust, death and destruction every time. It's a bait and switch. It's not love. It's lust. Hey, how many of you drink sweet tea? Let let me see your hand. You drink sweet tea? How many of you have ever uh, went in a restaurant, ordered sweet tea, they misheard you, and they brought you something that made you nearly die, and what was it? Unsweet tea. I don't even even drink tea. I don't even drink tea. I drink Diet Coke and tea, but but I've accidentally picked up my wife's sweet tea, and uh, which actually she makes... I don't know what she makes. She makes sugar syrup, tea-flavored syrup or something. It's more sugar and then it's a little bit of tea on top of it. But, but get it, um, what, I saw this meme. Sherry sent it to me this week. When you're Southern and accidentally take a sip of unsweet tea. <laughs> yeah. Heart attack, inhaler, heart attack, emergency room, 
and he's on his dying bed, right? That's, that's kind of the way you feel like when that happens, right? They feel like. Because you, you thought you were getting one thing, but you really got another. And that's exactly what the devil does to you. He promises you love, but God says, nope, it's lust. He promised you satisfaction, but it never satisfies. Then when you're getting, what, what you're getting from the enemy is not the real deal. And what Satan tricks you into accepting instead of will move you farther away from God, farther away from success, farther away from life and closer and closer to death. It'll be packaged great. Lust is always packaged so well. But it's love, not lust. And it's, it's lust, not love. And some of you are here today and you have fallen prey. You stepped into the trap and you said, oh, if I just have that, it'll be love. It'll be satisfying, but you got it. And it wasn't. And it never is. And sometimes the devil will say, well, you just didn't get enough of it. Just get more of it. And it becomes love. Get more of it. And it becomes satisfying. Get more of it and you'll find life. And he leads you on a breadcrumb down a road that always ends in death and destruction. And when you get to the end of death and destruction, you have never, ever ever even been filled because it's lust, not love. It's death, not life. Third thing I'm going to tell you, and I'm done. John said this, that one will pass, one will pass, the other will last. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. The workaholic will never, will die unfulfilled. The greedy will die in despair. The Party goers will die with addictions because indulgence never satisfies. It only wets the appetite for more and more. And Christians understand that this world will not last forever. And if we put everything we have into this world, we're putting it into something that's going to fade away. And so here's what the enemy will tell you. Put all your eggs in the basket of the world. Have fun. Ignore the Bible, ignore the preacher, ignore church, live it up, give lip service to God, be a half-hearted Christian, what more does God want? Don't give, don't serve, don't help, just do your own thing and you'll be fine. But what he doesn't tell you is, one will pass and only one will last. Everything you do here in this world that's only for this world is gone one day, soon, very soon, huh? Don't think it's going to be long. And you'll stand before a holy, eternal God, empty-handed. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul said this, If anyone who builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, there's two ways to build. With valuable things, invaluable things. Things that stand the test of time, things that won't stand the fire. Each one's work will become obvious for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built, survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Here's what he was telling us is that everything you do in this world, if you love the world, everything you invest in this world is going to be gone one day. But if you love God, everything you invest in God will last forever. Close your Bibles. I'm finished. Happened in 2013. You won't recognize what that is on the screen, but that is a that is kind of a tin metal pot that has gold coins in it. It's called the Saddle Ridge Hoard. It was in Sierra Nevada, California, in the Gold Rush area, that a couple 
was walking their dog one day and uh, they found 1,427 gold coins valued at a little over, uh, well, right around $28,000 in that day's money, which is a fortune, an enormous amount of money in the 1800s. We still don't know who this is. They've still never released their names for security reasons, but they're anonymous. But they were walking their dog one day and came across a tin bucket. Had a lid on it. So they dug it up, thought it was some kind of junk, started walking back to their house with it. And when they did, the lid fell off and out rolled a gold coin in pristine condition from about 1847. So they put the lid back, went back home, got a metal detector, came back, and over time, they unearthed eight cans of gold coins in pristine condition Valued today at over $10 million. 1,427 coins. Some of the coins by themselves are worth a million dollars a piece. They have no idea where it came from. No record. Some, someone did some research and thought it might have been from a bank robbery in San Francisco back in the 1800s, but the bank investigated and said that bank in San Francisco had never had uh, in storage or mint those particular gold coins. So it wasn't the bank. So to this day, they have no idea who it is. They, they're, they're selling off the collection over time. Some have been given to a museum. Some they're selling on Amazon, literally. Amazon, you can sell rare, valuable things on Amazon. Some are selling on Amazon if you want to buy me one this afternoon. So um, it's an honor of my, get the million dollar one. That's the one I like if you'll get it for me. But here's, here's what I think is funny. Somebody, somewhere, 120 years ago, dug a hole and put their fortune in the ground and forgot about it, died, couldn't find it, who knows? And 120 years later, it was left to somebody else. And it's a perfect picture of investing all your eggs in the basket of this world. If all you care about is this culture, if all you care about is this life, if all you care about is this earthly things, it's all going to pass and somebody else will own it one day. Jesus said this, lay up treasures for yourself in heaven where neither moss nor rust does corrupt nor thieves break through and steal. If you, if you love God, one love matters. Love the world, It'll be somebody else's. Love God. It'll last forever. Who do you love the most today? Like that's a weighty question, right? Who, who do you love the most? The world or God? Well, everybody says God. Really? Let's look at your checkbook. Let's look at your calendar. Let's look at your devotional life. Let's look at your prayer life. So get your church life. Mm. You might at least want to pause and say, who do I love more? Would you stand with me? Heads bowed and eyes closed. You could be here today and not a member of our church, but you want to join our church or you want to be baptized. Our pastors are down front and just come tell them that. Hey, I want to join this church. I want to be baptized. 
You could be here today and you're not a Christian. Now, I didn't really speak to you today, but if you want to know that Christ is in your life and heaven is your home when you die, come tell our pastors that. I want to become a Christian. They'll walk you through that process of becoming a, a Christian today. You can do it today. So our pastors down front, just come take one of those by the hand and say, hey, I, want to, I want to join the church. I want to be baptized. I want to be a Christian. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I, I wonder how many Christians, though, could we be honest with God? Nobody in the building looking around but me. Not one eye open but me. And I just want you to answer this for God's sake. How, how many Christians in the building could say this? And hold on before you answer. I don't mean, oh, we could love God more. All of us could love God more, right? Like that's an that's a easy hand raise. I'm asking you this. Has God convicted your heart this morning? And you need to love God more. If that's you, do you slip your hand up as a testimony to God? Hands up, hands up, hands up, hands up. Wow, dozens and dozens, and dozens all across the building. You can put them down. So it's you I wanna, I wanna appeal to today. And if you didn't raise your hand, you still have that longing in your heart. It can be different today. Today you wanna let go of that old life. You wanna let go of those addictions. You wanna let go of all that that you know is leading to death and destruction. Listen, you do that by falling in love with Jesus and you need to find a way to the altar this morning and say, dear God, let me help me love you more. Let me love you more. God will take you on that journey. It can start this morning. Father, draw us with your spirit as you've spoken to us through your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. For more information about Peavine or to get in touch with us, please visit our website, peavine.org. Thanks for listening.